Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. taken from John 11 verses 1 to 43. We're going to jump right into it to be honest with you. That takes about six minutes to read all of that. So I'm banking on the fact that you guys know the story of Lazarus. So we're going to read verse 25. Uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And we pray to Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name. So for those who were here last week, we know that Pastor George introduced this new series called Retold. And that is an exciting series because it's taken what we heard of in Sunday school when we were younger and now retelling those same stories. So it's really cool because as a child, you have this open-eyed, wide expectation of what you're going to hear. And you allow those stories to shape your life. But when you are older, not only does our brains mature, but life situations and experiences can now affect the way we receive and understand information. So to be honest, the story of Lazarus is not one that I think that we've heard so often as children. But I chose this story because it was just a year ago that I had that open-eyed, wide expectation of what God can do and what he was going to do. But within that year, life experience and situation change that view. And so instead, because of the difficulty and the disappointment of life, I draw from this scripture comfort. So I want to start off with this one question, and it can be its own series and its own topic, but I will have one answer for this question. And the question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the exact 
image of the Father manifested in the flesh. Colossians 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews 1.3 states the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So I'm sure you've heard this statement before, and the statement goes like this. He is just like his father, or she is just like her mother. That can mean one of two things. The first thing is that it can mean that that child resembles their futures look like that parent. I have an example of that. So my coworker, she has a grandson. And so her daughter sent her a picture on her phone with a, of her grandson. And with that picture as a text message next to it was a picture of his father at that same age. And I know that I gave the same expression that she had when she saw it because they looked so much alike by us not, by us knowing that is not the same child. We would have easily thought they were twins because he was the splitting image of his father. Another way that statement could be taken is that his mannerisms or her mannerisms or behavior is like that parent. An example of that is the Hagee ministry. I'm sure you guys are familiar with John Hagee. He preaches on television. If not, no worries. He has a way about him when he speaks. He speaks a certain type of message. He stands a certain way. He pauses at a certain time. And his congregation responds to him in a certain way. So all this time, his son, Matthew Hagee, sits on the stage and watches his father. Now it's his son's turn, and I will admit to you, Matthew and John Hagee looks nothing alike. But when Matthew is on the stage, he has a presence about him. He stands a certain way. His message is a certain way. He pauses at a certain time that the congregation responds to him the way they did his father. Because he is the exact representation of his father's being. You can see the time that they spent together. This makes me think of Jesus. The scripture says he is the image of the invisible God. No, we cannot see God, but the scripture says that he is that image. Jesus is the exact representation of his being and in order for him to do that you can imagine from the scripture when he wakes up in the morning the disciples looks for him what what is he doing where is he he is praying he's asking the father father show me this day father show me what do i do how do i do what i have to do today who am i going to encounter today in the middle of the day, he is here witnessing and ministering to his people. And then it's finished and he sends them away and he sends his disciples also away. Why is he doing that? Because he's going to the mountaintop to pray. Again, Father, what else do you have for me today? Father, show me. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? This here, I bring that up because... 
Sorry, I got to scroll over. <laughs> Jesus, he is not here on his own will or his own accord. He's representing the Father. That's why he answers in John 5, 19. He says, very truly, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. John 12, 49, 4, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Because again, Jesus is not here to do his own will. He's at the command of the Father. There's something he's here to accomplish. John 6, 38, 5, come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Some more scriptures I'm going to throw at you a little bit here. John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. This one is not up there. But he is here talking with them. And in having this conversation, Philip comes out with this question. He says, Jesus, show us the Father. This is just my imagination here, but I see Jesus as he illuminates and he looks in and leans in on Philip and he says, Philip. Have I not been with you all this time? How can you say, show us the Father? If you see me, you see the Father. At least believe that the Father is in me by the works that I do. See, Jesus, I should say God, the Father could not communicate to us the way that he wanted to because we had disconnected that cord a long time ago. Because of our disobedience that brought sin in the world, God had originally created us to fellowship with him for eternity. But a sinful people could not fellowship with a holy God. We would die, and he's too loving for that. So he introduced sacrifices. Not as the world is familiar with sacrifices, but controlled animal sacrifices. But that was not enough. He sent angels to minister to man. He sent angels to bring messages to them. And here is this funny part. He sent angels to save them from lion's den and to save them from the fiery furnace. But that was not enough. That is why he sent Jesus to be the only way to him. You will hear the scripture in John 14, 6. Jesus answers. He says that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except they come through me. Why is this important? To the Lazarus story. I know it's about Lazarus. Why is all of this important? This is important to the Lazarus story because the scripture says that Lazarus was sick. Lazarus, the note that Jesus receives, says the one that you love is sick. I first want to stop from the sermon there to say that if you are sick, or you know someone who is sick, do not condemn yourself that God does not love you or that you don't know God because that's a lie. 
Lazarus was both. He knew God and God loved him, but he still was sick. So getting back to the scripture, it can be broad at times. And out of nowhere, sometimes the scripture can zoom in on little details that we don't understand what is, why is this important. It stresses the relationship of who Lazarus is and his family. The scripture continues that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. He is the brother of Mary who pours perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes it with our hair. Lazarus is the brother of Martha who serves and serves and serves. That's all we know about her. She serves. <laughs> but these three, they are important to Jesus. They may not be disciples, but they are on the inner crowd. So imagine when you receive this note about someone you love, someone who means so much to you, this family that means so much to you, for Jesus, who is a natural healer. He is, this is a no-brainer for Jesus. If he was here on his own accord, his own feelings, he was following it, it would have been easy for him to send a word and healed Lazarus. Or he could have traveled the two miles that the scripture says was the distance and touched Lazarus and he would have been healed. This is a no-brainer. Everyone knows the power of Jesus at this point. For when Jesus sees Martha, the first thing out of Martha's mouth is, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then he sees Mary, and what does Mary say to him? She says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But it's not just them that knew the power of Jesus. The Jewish people did. For they said, is this not the same man who opened the eyes of the blind man? Couldn't he not have stopped Lazarus from dying? This was easy, a no-brainer for Jesus. He could have done it, but instead, what do you think he did? He stayed where he was for two more days. What do you think he was doing during those two days? He was praying. Father, what is your will? I know what I can do because we've already been through this. We've been working together. But what is your will? What do you want me to do in this situation? Within those two days, he receives a message. We know that this is an urgent situation, but he was not going to let his feelings or his emotions control the situation. The father revealed to him within these two days that Lazarus had died. And so he speaks to his disciples. And he tells them, he says, I have to go and wake Lazarus. And there's some confusion because they're saying, Lazarus is asleep, then why wake him? He says, no, in your words, just so we can be on the same page, Lazarus is dead. So I have to go and wake him. So after my mom's earthly exit, this lady customer at work, wanted to use scriptures to prove to me that my mom was asleep. 
And so even after God had previously comforted my heart with three scriptures as to her being with him in heaven, I started to waver. And so I asked him for a verse to help encourage my heart as to the fact that she's with him. And so one day as Chris and I were driving, I saw this billboard and it says, He who believes in me will live even though they die. And so on Father's Day, I read the scripture in its entirety, and it's speaking of Lazarus, who had fallen asleep, but yet he had died. And so I saw where she was coming from, but I knew she was wrong. Martha said, on the last day, Lazarus will rise. Before Jesus laid his life down, people who had died, they slept. But Jesus replied to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, he who believes in me will live even though they die. He speaks of how life was going to change in its entirety as he lays down his life for all of humanity. While my mom was with us, I was so happy and proud for her to be here. I was proud that she had her own room. We gave her everything we thought she would need. I wanted to say within Chris's budget, <laughs> but I had taken that out because I didn't want to bother him. But, <laughs> but <laughs> my hopes were built on one day seeing her wholeness and independence. I knew it would happen. I wrote it on a piece of paper, the vision on a piece of paper, and pasted it on her closet door. But I did not know that that was not what she saw. Not because she didn't want to be, be healed, but like Lazarus, she was plagued with something that we could not understand. So when she laid her flesh down, God laid on her heart these first three scriptures in regards to the resurrected life. The first scripture in regards to the resurrected life is found in John 14. And it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. He says that I am going to prepare a place for you. At this point in time, the disciples were under this impression that Jesus was going to restore the Israelite kingdom. But Jesus is not here for his own will. He is not here for your will or my will. He is here on the will of the Father. He was here to restore the kingdom of heaven, not because it was broken, but because it was missing us. He was here to reconcile man to God. So before he died on the cross and was resurrected, people who died, they slept. Their bodies decayed in the grave, but their spirits, which was eternal, was asleep. And we notice because the Old Testament says that the kings rested with their fathers. 1 Samuel 28 speaks of the first king Saul, and he comes and he interrupts the first prophet Samuel, his sleep. 
He raises him from the grave and Samuel says, Why do you disturb my sleep? But on the day that Jesus laid his life down, I got to find myself. <laughs> on the day that Jesus laid his life down, Matthew 27, 50 says, And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth, it shook. The rocks, it split. And the tombs, they broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Can you imagine that scene as Jesus gave his spirit up? As he gave his spirit up, imagine the spirits in the grave, they started to shake because what is he doing? He's calling these holy men and women of God. He's waking them up. So here we are on this earth, but right there in the bottom, something is happening. The bodies are decayed, but the spirits were coming alive. So imagine why then, why then would that happen to them and we now who die would go and sleep? No, Jesus went and prepared a place for us. So it was after his resurrection, though, that they rose, but he has prepared a place in heaven for us to be with him. The second comforting verse in regards to the resurrected life was given to me, or I should say it's called your work is only for the earth. Your calling, your work is only for the earth. I was at the graveside when I received this verse, Matthew 25, 21. It was from this verse that I saw an image of my mom before his throne. And he says to her, well done, my good and faithful servant. It was at that moment that I realized that she saw the fulfillment of her purpose on this earth. Even though I knew that life was a struggle for her, I felt her prayers. She prayed for my sister and my well-being. She wanted us to grow up and be safe and be happy. And when she saw that, her purpose was complete. Not saying that that was all that God had for her, but for her, that was enough. So don't count out mothers and fathers whose sole purpose is the upbringing of their children. It is a call from God, and to your surprise, a worthy call. The third scripture that I receive in regards to the resurrection of the dead is found in John 5.24. For those of you who are familiar with the drives coming home from work, you have time to think. So I had time to think about how I was disappointed in not seeing her wholeness and her healing. I know that we all are going to go one day. So I knew she was going to go one day, but I expected to see her wholeness and healing first. So when, sorry, I'm home. I'm, my voice is going out. I think I do need water. <laughs> but as soon as I was home, 
I realized that before I could even open up my mouth to utter my frustration and disappointment of life, in that moment, I received this scripture, John 5, 24. And this scripture says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And they will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. In that moment, I saw her wholeness. I saw her rise. I saw her healing. She was not in pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more worry. She was healed. That scripture goes a lot more deeper. And let's use others to help us with that. Ephesians 2.1 and Romans 5.8. Thank you so much. Ephesians 2.1. I'm going to drink real quick, you guys. Excuse me. Okay. It says, for we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died more than 2,000 years ago. And again, before he died, people had slept. But when he died and rose again, people arose from the grave. But what happens to us here? We are still born into sin. We are still sinners. But there is a difference now. John 10 explains. He says, I am the great shepherd. He says, my sheep, they know my voice. So here he says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, they have instantly received eternal life. So instantly when you believe, all of heaven, all of eternity enters you in that moment. In Luke, it speaks of, the scripture is here. Well, Luke 23, 43, I believe it is. <laughs> Jesus is here on a cross between two thieves. One of them is ridiculing him. The other one says that, you and I deserve to be here on this cross, but he is not dying for his own sins. So he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me as you enter your kingdom. What do you think Jesus said? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, oh man, you should have accepted me 10 years ago. Or, if you can get off the cross, confess your sins, and be baptized, then you'll be with me. Nor did he say, okay, I'm going to rise in three days, and then you'll be with me. He said, today, today you will be with me in paradise, because today you receive eternity. There's a word that we call it, it's called born again instantly you receive this new life. There's a message I spoke about It's in previous messages called I am the gate. And I spoke in that about time being a curse. And it is. Because man was meant to live for eternity. So when he sinned, time entered. 
man started to track the days that he had left because he would one day die. But now when we believe and all of heaven enters us, time stops. Eternity begins. So when my mom laid down her flesh, she didn't enter eternity then. She received all of eternity years and years and years ago when she first believed. So before she was even sick, she was healed. She was delivered. She was set free. She was made whole and she was restored all in the name of Jesus. So in conclusion, you know the end of the story. We know that Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus. And we know that he called his name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And we know that the dead man came forth. Jesus was out of time in this situation. He was, he didn't die yet. But he was doing this not because Mary and Martha was boohooing, crying for Lazarus. He was here to teach us who he is. To teach us that he had the power over death and the grave. He says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, he who believes in me will live eternally, even though their flesh will die. He said, and whoever lives as in living in the flesh now and have eternal life, he says, you will never lose eternity. My question to you is the same question he asked Martha. Do you believe this? The worship team will come up.